All right, guys, let's go ahead and get started. That clock is a little fast, so I'm not going by that clock, but um, as always, we're probably going to run out of time like we always do, so let's go ahead and get started. Let me just pray for us, and we'll, and we'll get started with the lesson. Well, Heavenly Father, we, God, we praise you, God, that we are adopted into your family, that we're brought into your church. God, it's such a privilege to be of your chosen people, God. It's so, such a privilege to be a recipient of your grace. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that we've been sealed for the day of redemption. That We, we thank you that we have the hope of heaven, the surety of our destinies to be with you forever, that we don't have to fear the flames of hell from our sin, God. We thank you for these things, God. May we glorify you in our lesson today, God. May we glorify you through the preaching of your word today. Uh, bless our brother Cameron as he preaches. Bless our ears. May we be quick to hear and slow to speak, God. May we honor your word as, as it deserves to be honored. Please be glorified in our church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, um, today we're going to talk about the subject of prayer. The subject of prayer. And what we've been doing is we've been going through uh, systematic theology in Sunday school. We've been really kind of using Wayne Grudem's uh, systematic theology as kind of like our outline. We're really following his chapters um, as we go through the book, kind of his order and, and, and subject content. And so I just brought my copy today because I just once again want to plug this, this book for you uh, because I think out of all the systematic theology books, Wayne Grudem's is still my favorite. I think Wayne Grudem is my favorite because uh, his systematic is just so unique, I think, in so many ways. Um, first of all, first and foremost, I think, is that it's definitely written um, at a level that's very accessible. It's very straightforward. Um, Wayne Grudem definitely has layman in mind. You know, some systematic theologies, um, you may not just be able to pick up and work through. You may be very, you may get lost immediately, but Wayne Grudem is very conscious, I think, of the layman, and, and he's not getting lost in, in a lot of, like, theological conundrums. He's definitely answering the questions that we would want to have answered, right? He's very conscious of his readers, and so I appreciate that. And and maybe just, maybe another unique thing that's, that's uh, not coincidental but providential about today's lesson is, for instance, chapter 18 on prayer. I looked through several th uh, systematic theologies and nobody else was devoting an entire chapter to prayer like Wayne Grudem did. Wayne Grudem is... is um, I've heard him... The audios are available of him teaching through this, this book and his, and his teachings, and it's very devotional. I always appreciate a Christian teaching that's... Um, that as it's being presented, as it's being taught, is, is, is being pre presented in such a way that it's worship to God. And as you hear Wayne Grudem teach his, his church, his Sunday school, he definitely has the mindset of he's trying to edify the church. He's not just trying to fill you with a bunch of knowledge. He definitely wants us to apply. And so he, he devotes a whole chapter to prayer, and I appreciate that. Um, at the end of his chapters, I don't know how many of you guys have even seen this, but... He, he gives you questions for application to make sure you've understood the chapter, make, see if there's anything you need to work through. He gives, you, uh, he gives you scripture memory passages for whatever subject it is. 
so that if you've dedicated a whatever couple days a week to studying a chapter you now have a, a, a passage to to put with that and to memorize and then he even gives a hymn a hymn with each chapter to worship God about whatever that subject is which I think is beautiful I love you know like if some of you guys have Hendrickson and Kistemachter's commentaries I mean he can be doing through some heavy exegesis and just break out into a hymn you know and studying the word I just love that I love that it's, it's just a devotional um, type co- uh, systematic that's definitely accessible for us and devotional so Next time you're at Mardell's, if you still don't have this, if you're there trying to go get another NASB or another ESV, um, spend the money, um, have that at your house because it's so it's so helpful. So so let's move on here because we're going to talk about the top topic of prayer. Prayer has, as I'm noticing, just seems to be a very reoccurring here lately uh, subject to come up in our church. I can remember it doesn't seem like that long that. That I did that sermon on Acts 2.42 where it talked about the early church being devoted to prayer. Pastor Emilio's recently done a whole sermon series on prayer. Last week we looked at the prayers of the, uh, the Apostle Paul for the salvation of the Jews. And so even amongst all of this study we've been doing on prayer, obviously the Lord in His providential wisdom says, No, Heritage Grace, let's look at prayer again. And so we will. Let's look at prayer again and see... Uh, and I think today's study will benefit you. I think it will benefit you, um, even despite the fact that we've studied so much about prayer recently and, and done so much theological study about it, because Wayne Grudem, in his book, he, he, he's, he divides his chapter, half of it basically is to the theological issues of prayer, the other half is to uh, very practical, biblical ways to have effective prayer. You see, most systematic theologies aren't going to do that. He dedicates, which is more than half, like 10 of 17 pages to how to have effective prayer. Don't we all want that? I mean, don't you want to have effective prayer? And he, So we're going to walk through a lot of that. Hopefully, uh, we can get through it all. Um, but we're going to do that today. So let's first define prayer. Let's first define prayer. Very simply said, prayer is communication to God. Very simply, prayers is personal communication with God. There's different kinds of this communication, different kinds of prayers. There's requests, petitions, intercession, confession, praise, thanksgiving, um, all of these different ways uh, that we pray. And we're going to get into actually a lot of those examples today. But let me just first state and just lay the foundational work of why it is that we're able to communicate to God? Why are we able to pray in the first place? How is it that we're able to talk to the God of the heavens? Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4 um, just to lay the foundational work here of how it is that sinful man is able to approach the throne of God. Because this is an amazing grace that we're able to speak to God. And so let's see why it is that we're able to do that. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in in verse 14. Somebody want to read that for us? Maybe read 14 through 16 for us? Brother John, are you there? Can you you read for us? Sure. Go ahead. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Very good. Very good. Thank you, brother. So there's a lot of passages I guess I could have gone to um, in why and how it is that we're able to pray. You know, I thought about Jesus at his death and the in the veil tearing and it just opening up that entrance into the, the Holy of Holies, these type of uh, visual uh, things that the scripture leaves for us. But we're able to pray, we're able to to come to God and to speak to him because of the intercessory intercessory priest work of God, of Christ. That's why, because he is our high priest, and through him we have access to the Father. And it's only because our priest laid down his life on that cross is the only reason that we as sinners are able to speak to God. Other than that, we were cut off. We were cut off from God. So uh, we're able to pray and draw near simply by the work of Christ and by the grace of God. We're able to come back and to approach our Creator and I like, and another reason I wanted to read this uh, section from Hebrews 4 was that it gives us a therefore. As it talks about the, the work of Christ and his intercession for us, his high priestly work, in verse 16 it said, Therefore, because of Christ and his work, let us draw near with confidence. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And so I think that because our confidence that we're able to have to come to God is based on the work of Jesus, I think there's going to be a direct correlation between how confident you are in your coming to God through prayer and in your faith in the work of Christ. We're going to see that prayer is really, um, it's going to be really convicting, I think. I was convicted by this, this study is that prayer is really an outworking of your faith. And so we'll see where our faith is when we are really honest with ourselves about our prayer life. We'll see that. So, where your faith is with Christ, that's where your prayer life will be. I think there's a direct correlation with that. So, let's get into more of these uh, theological issues of prayer. Why pray? Why pray? I thought this might be a perfect place to transition even from last week's discussion. Last week, for all you of here, we talked about providence. We talked about providence. We talked about how our sovereign God interacts with this world in time and how he works out his sovereign decree. And we call that his providence, how he providentially uh, works with us and in, in time. And so the question then is, and I'm actually going to present this question to you guys just to see how well I did last week at presenting the material. Um, no pressure. The pressure is really on me if you guys don't answer this. So um, why is it then... Why did Jesus pray? Why did Paul pray? Why do we pray? Why do all of us pray who know and believe and teach that God has predestined everything to occur? Why, If God has predestined the ends to happen so that he may definitely receive glory, why do we pray if everything's predestined to occur? And I see a hand. Brother Mike, go ahead. It is the will of God. It's the will of God. It certainly is the will of God. That's right. God commands us to pray. He reveals his will to pray. And so that should be enough, right? Because God tells us to pray, we should do it. Now I'm trying to kind of get at more of the theological conundrum that comes up in if we believe that God has predestined the ends, why is prayer necessary? If it's already going to happen, why 
Do we take the time to pray? What do we think that's accomplishing? You understand what I'm what I'm trying to get at, it's Mike? Again, let me let me let Mike let me let Mike. It also creates a, a, a real closeness and intimacy with God through Jesus. Yes. So we have that intimacy, like a a, a bride and a groom. Yes. Intimacy. Yeah. Relationship. Yep. I definitely think we're gonna we're gonna touch on that even more. Is the fact of why do we pray? Because God wants the interaction in the relationship to happen. But was somebody else going to jump in there on why do we pray? Wally, do you? Because God's part of his providence was that he would accomplish things through prayer. So it's not only that he determined the end, but he determined how we're going to do it. How he's going to do it. That's right. That's very good. That's really what I was trying to get at there. The re- Even though God has decreed everything to happen, He's also decreed the means by which that's going to happen. And prayer is one of those things that God says, I'm going to use prayer in time to work out my ends. So even though he's predestined the ends, he's also predestined the means, which includes our prayers. And so our prayers, therefore, have real effects, real meaning. That's important to understand. Yes, sir? Doesn't that also help us conform into his will to be closer into what he has designed for us as well? Uh, say that again. Uh, for us to be conformed into the will, to, to be in, in His perfect will, uh, the more we pray um, and the more that He uses that means uh, in order to accomplish His purposes, mm-hmm. it allows us to be more in His will. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about praying according to God's will. <clears throat> um, yeah, prayer, I think, is one way that God actually... Uh, changes our thinking through the means of prayer like God actually answers those prayers especially if we pray God lead me according to your will we'll see a very clear text in James about God actually promising that if we don't understand his will if we don't know what's going on we can ask for the wisdom and he'll, he guarantees to give it to us so prayer is a means by which we can maneuver ourselves into the will of God certainly um, so, we, so we know what, what prayer is not um, in that model prayer from Matthew 6, Jesus said, it kind of contrasting the meaning, meaningless, repetitious prayers of the Gentiles, um, he said, don't be like them. Don't, don't think um, that you're going to be heard just because you use many words. He says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask. Your Father knows what you need even before you ask. So we're not filling in the omniscient God on anything that he doesn't is not aware of. We're not telling him what we need so that he can, okay, now I know what they need. No, he knows. Prayer is simply a means by which God has decreed and set up that we would, kind of like what Mike was saying, so that we would interact with him and have this relationship and fellowship with him. God has decided to use prayer as a means to, to accomplish that. Um, and we, as we think about coming to God in prayer, God is also very intentional about the way we do this. He's very concerned about how we approach Him, how we uh, uh, position ourselves as we come to Him. Because I remember one of the one of the biggest emphases that I got from Pastor Emilio's sermons through prayer was the emphasis that that he put on the sermons. But I think it's an emphasis that Jesus puts in that model prayer as well as, uh, as, well as how He begins it. How does the model prayer begin? How should we come? To God. He says, Our Father who is in heaven. Right? First, we recognize where God is. Hallowed be thy name. We come to him 
rightly, right? And as long as we come to him rightly um, with the proper recognition of, of who God is and, and who we are, God's pleased to commune with us and to fellowship with us. And, and, and God loves that because our God is a relational God. God has, has decreed these relations. He could have just, the end's going to happen. You guys be, be good with it as it comes. But no, he wants us to, to speak with him and to fellowship with him. I think all this comes out of the fact that God is a triune God. From all of eternity, God has been fellowshipping amongst the Godhead. Right? Since the very beginning. Um, that, that's really important to understand that this is like a, the, the communica- communicative aspects of God is, is part of who He is. This is how He is. Um, uh, some of the ways we know that is from, for instance, John 17, when Jesus says, Father, restore to me that, that glory that I had with you before the world was. That They were sharing this glory. There was this unifying glory that they shared together. Um, even from John 1, 1, right, where it says that He was with the Word was with God. You know, a lot of the commentators point out that this face-to-face relationship that they shared together, intimate uh, relationship. And then, of course, I think we mostly think of, like, Ephesians 1's text, where it explains that the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, worked out this plan before the foundation of the world to save a people. They all, all of their roles were decided. The Father would elect, the Son would come down here and do the salvific work and the Spirit would come and seal. These were all things that were decided amongst the Godhead in communication before the world even was. And so this is how God is. And so this relational communicative aspects of God is is what we would categorize under um, the communicable attributes of God. Do you all remember when we studied that? Um, There's different attributes of God. There's attributes of God that God has that He does not share with us. But there are attributes that he does share with us. So communication and these types of relationships are, are aspects of God's uh, uh, being that he gives with us, that he shares with us. And so his intention with that is that we would glorify him in, in, in fellowshipping with him and communicating with, with him. Uh, so prayer then is primarily where God's needy creatures express our need our dependence and our trust in God to provide for us. That's what we're doing when we pray to God, our Creator. And God's glorified by this as, as we acknowledge really what is the, the Creator-Creature distinction in this relationship and we honor that and that's how we approach Him. God loves that. God's glorified by that um, as we come to Him in faith, um, certainly. So, that's really, I mean, I know we've talked about all that a lot recently through all the sermons and everything. Is there any questions maybe just on the theological issues of prayer? Because I want us to spend the majority of time, which I think will maybe be some really good interaction on uh, considerations for effective prayer. Any theological questions maybe maybe from the sermon last week? Anything like that? I think you guys are going to enjoy this next section, though. Because we're going to look at um, ways to have effective prayer. Because I know that's what we need. I know that's what we want. Because nobody's usually praying, except, you know, maybe before dinner, for really trite things. When we come to God, we're, we're needing Him. We're wanting Him to answer our prayers. And so, let's, let's just dive in here. Um, Wayne Grudem actually lists 13 ways. I know that's a lot. That's why I didn't want Scott to bring out the board, because I thought I'd spend more time writing than us just working through these things. But 13 ways to have effectual prayer 
Um, these are things maybe you'd want to write down. I'm glad I have this list here. I'm glad I've been through this. But you may want to make sure that you are implementing these things in your prayer life. Make sure that these things are there and you're growing in these things and you're implementing them. Because we're going to look at 13, maybe even have a scripture text. I'll try to give a text for each uh, point. But these are things you definitely want to incorporate in your prayer life. And so number one, number one way to have effectual prayer, um, Robert already uh, touched on it, but it's praying according to God's will. Let me read a text to explain why this is so significant and important. Because 1 John 5.14 says this, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And, and actually the text goes on to say, And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked from Him. So it's just speaking about a surety, a confidence that your prayer is going to be answered. And that confidence comes from knowing that you're praying according to God's will. So the million dollar question is, how do we know that we're praying according to God's will? Because we want to have our prayers answered. How do we know if we're praying according to God's will? Let me just ask the question, what's the, what's the surest way to know God's will? Yes, I'm glad so many people were ready with that answer. That's good. That's good. The surest way to know God's will is through the Bible. That's where your confidence is going to come from. That's how you can be 100% sure that you're praying according to God's will is if it's something He's revealed to you and said, this is how I am, this is what I want to do, this is what I will do. The Word of God. That's right. So, let me. it almost led me to a, another text uh, in, in relation to that, John 15, 7 says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, right? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So your confidence in your prayers being effectual according to the will of God is whether you know the will of God or not. Mm-hmm. If you're completely ignorant of God's ways and His will and what He wants to do in this world, chances are your prayers may not line up with the will of God. But if you know the Word of God, if it's in your heart, if you have a Bible... This is why I love Pastor Emilio. I've heard him several times encourage open Bible prayer. That's good. That's how you can, you can find something that you know God says that you can pray for and about and have confidence that uh, your, your prayers will be answered. And so that's good. What about, um, what about if you have a situation maybe where you don't think the Bible specifically addresses your unique situation. I think, uh, I think God goes really out of His way to relay His will to us, to help us in our prayers, because God loves it when we come to Him. And so He's there, He's willing, He's trying to help us. He's not hindering us from coming to Him. He's helping us. So in the book of James, chapter 1... He gives an example of of the brethren here going through trials. Trials that, even in James, he gives you the reason for them. He he explains that it's for the testing of your faith, so that it's going to produce endurance. But he says, if you're going through a trial, in verse 5, James 1.5, he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom as you're going through this trial, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, 
and it will be given to him. Now that's an amazing promise. If you love to bank on the promises of God, as I'm telling you right here, if the Word of God promises you something, you can pray that prayer with 100% assurance that God's going to answer it. These are one of the promises that God gives, which is an amazing promise. That if any of you lacks wisdom, pray to God, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to you. Wisdom. How often do we need wisdom? How often do we genuinely come to God and ask for that wisdom? Because He promises to give it. That's a... That is an amazing, amazing promise, um, I think. And so, this text is helpful, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I wanted to go here because it leads into the second point. The second way that we can have effectual prayer is uh, the qualification made here in the next verse in the book of James. He says, God will give wisdom. If you come to Him, He promises to give you that wisdom, but there's a qualification. The qualification is, you must pray in faith. Read it, verse 6 now, it says, But he who comes, speaking of he who comes to ask for this wisdom, he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. See how important it is to come to God rightly? To come to God in faith, trusting Him? I think it dishonors God when we come to Him doubting. I mean, look at who we're praying to. Why do we doubt God? I mean, that's a slap in the face, I think, to our God if we come to Him doubting. And so it says here that that man ought not that he would expect anything uh, to receive anything from the Lord. We don't want to dishonor the Lord by coming to Him like that. This God who created the entire universe simply by the, the word of His power, there's no reason to doubt God, especially if he's given you a promise. There's no reason to doubt this God. Um, don't doubt his power and don't doubt his benevolence. Don't, don't doubt his, his, his willingness to take care of you, to love you, for everything to be of your good. Um, Romans 8.32 says this just about that. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely with him give us all things? If God gave you his son, don't for a second think that he's not going to help you through this trial, that he's not going to give you the wisdom that you need. None of God is, God is for you. He has is, he is given you his son. He's going to give you these things freely as well. So we, uh, so we move on. Let me, because I'm trying to make it. There's 13 of them. So I hope you guys are okay with how repetitive this could get. But I think these things are helpful. So many of these points, I said, God, I'm not doing that. I need to do that, you know, to honor you, to pray well, to pray rightly, um, to please him. So number three, God is, God is pleased to respond to his children who are obedient. Obedience. Proverbs 28.9 says, He who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So to be disobedient, but then yet try to get from God, again, is dishonoring. And, and the Lord's not going to hear that prayer. A new, a new Testament application that I thought of this, um, of, of somebody, even a believer, uh, not walking in accordance with God's revealed will, but affecting his prayer life for the husbands here, especially 1 Peter 3.7. It says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. 
and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. You see how disobedience to the revealed will of God and that we're to love our wives, if you don't do that, it hinders your prayers. It's amazing. But that's, that, that is just a real life application of, of the fact that we need to be walking. Yes, sir? Real quick, because yeah. I ran into this issue and I wanted to maybe get some feedback sure. regarding prayer and how God hears it, praying according to His will. Uh, there was a situation in my neighborhood where a family had recently lost somebody uh, to suicide. Um, lovely family. They professed to be Christians, but they're of the Unitarian, you know, type of sect, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've preached the gospel to them a couple of times. And they, they just think everybody's saved and this and this and that. Just, I've been able to, through wisdom, determine that they're not fellow workers, right? Right. And they were having a prayer meeting at their house. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother-in-law said, hey, are you guys going to go? Um, we said no, and we gave her John 9, saying that, first of all, we need to make sure that they're not, that whether they're Christians or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, second John 9. Mm-hmm. And then I went to John nine thirty one, where it says that, you know, he doesn't hear the prayers of the unconverted. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I went to Second Corinthians 6 to say we are not to have fellowship in that sense, you know, doing Christian things, if you will, with unbelievers that we have determined from Scripture. And Like First Corinthians 5 where it says, put the immoral brother away from you, like don't have fellowship in that sense. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so-called brother. Uh, okay. But also in Second Corinthians 6, mm-hmm. uh, where it tells you not to walk with them who are still in darkness. Okay. Um, and um, I'm wondering if that's a, a correct uh, approach, because it, it certainly caused bad friction in the, in the family. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of an easy one. I mean, if they're Unitarian... Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sharing it just to kind of right. give a little bit more application. Yeah, I mean, if you're sure they're not Christian, then yeah, there's no fellowship there. Yeah. The Lord is definitely not hearing their prayers. That's going to be an evangelistic, you know, interaction with them. Um, what gets harder is when you just don't know if they're Christians. That's what, man, that's the hardest thing for me, bro. Like, if I don't know somebody's a Christian, you know, like guys at my work, you know, who profess Christ, but I have so many doubts about and family members, you know, it's so hard to know how much to open up with them, you know, like, because I think some of the, especially you talk about prayer, I mean, this is an intimate um, relationship that happens here between even brothers and sisters in, in the Lord, like, it just, it just hinders when I don't, and I don't have confidence that somebody is a Christian, you know, it just, I hate to give them false hope by assuring them, hey, let's pray together, We're, we both have access to the Father, if I'm not sure they do, you know, it just, yeah. It's, it, it is hard, but, I mean, as far as your example is concerned, like, if they're a Unitarian, man, they didn't know who God is. They're praying to a Unitarian. That's not the God of Scripture. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, I understand that. Right. Uh, and um, the, the, the problem was in it of, you know, another professing Christian, which happens to be mm. a family member, right, right, was right. completely disgusted at the fact that we would say some, something like that. <sighs> right. And we said it with as, as a meek demeanor as possible. And it's like, hey, you know, this is this is how we model our life. 
especially in the area of prayer, since it is so intimate. Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing you you could have modeled for it was your family that was kind of like, why aren't you going over there? I mean, you 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 brought the scriptures to bear. Like, look what God says here. Look what God says here about this issue. Like, it's not really up for me to decide whether I should go or not. Like, you know, don't even greet them at the door, you know, if it's, they're preaching another gospel kind of thing. So, no, I think that was probably the best thing you could have done for them is show them what God says about this. Kind of leave, at the end of the day, you've got to leave it there, especially if they're professing believer. I love dealing with at least professing believers, even Roman Catholics. I love, it's so much easier for me to share the gospel with them because, at least we can, boom, go right here. Not that you shouldn't go right here anyways, but at least if in their minds they say, I think this is the word of God, you can, let's just go to the scriptures right now and just let that be that, you know? So, yeah, I think that that is helpful um, in thinking about it. And I think you did the right thing, you know? Like, if you didn't go, if they're not Christian, you can't go and start praying with them as if... No, I, I told them I'd pray, I, I told her that I'd pray for them. Amen. You know? That's good. Um, right. I care about them. Right. But... I cannot be doing Christian things with non-Christians. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, so let's keep moving here because the third point I said was that obedience is required. Obedience is necessary. And you'll be walking in the Spirit. Now, I think the fourth point flows very naturally out of that because none of us are sin sinless. All of us sin. And so if obedience is required, none of us are perfectly obedient, the fourth point is confession of sins. You see how that can just flow right right out of the necessity of needing to be um, walking well with the Lord. Confession of sins. Uh, in the model prayer, Matthew 6.12, Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts, Lord. You know, just right now, just in repentance, just re- renew our relationship. If I've sinned, if my prayers are hindered, because it's just forgive me, Lord. Let me, you know, what's so good about our God is that he's, he's ready to forgive us. He's ready to renew that. That's what he wants. Renew the relationship. Pray to me. Come to me for what you need. That, and so we can confess our sins. It's, that's necessary. Number five um, flows again naturally right out of this, because that same verse I just read where we're asking for forgiveness Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Even in the, the, the language and the grammar there, it's assuming that you have past tense, aorist, forgiven those who uh, have sinned against you. Even in, in Matthew 6, it goes on to say, if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. See the necessity just to have that restored relationship? When we're speaking to God, no unrepentant sin is as much with it is in your knowledge of what you've um, erred in. Yes, brother Mike, I see you. Uh, also, I just want to maybe add to Psalms fifty-one if you're doing that. Yeah, right. David's prayer of repentance. Maybe read us an excerpt from that, Mike. Are you there? I see you looking at your Bible. Read us maybe an excerpt from that on how David pray, prayed this kind of prayer. Well, this uh, verse one says, "Be gracious to me, O God." According to your loving kindness, according to your greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Mm-hmm. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and mm-hmm. done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Mm-hmm. Amen. 
That is a good prayer to know. Psalm 51, especially when, so you can pray. Trish, I see your hand. Well, I was just going to say that just so opposite from the world's mindset that justifies themselves, even, you know, like when you share the gospel and you're, you're bringing them through the law, you're not judging them. They're doing the judging. They're seeing God's law, and yet they're still justifying themselves as being good. Mm-hmm. You know, we just... Uh, right. Just, it's yeah. amazing. God is so holy. He's on the stand. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's mm-hmm. the one that man is judging. When it's, it should be the opposite. Yeah. That's definitely a Christian aspect of, of our relationship with God is admitting our sins. Mm-hmm. Right? I know like in the prayer group we were talking about, we were praying for Christian leaders who have fallen into sin that they would repent publicly. Right? Isn't, wouldn't that be such a beautiful... That is a Christian thing. Mm-hmm. True repentance of sin. Not excuses. Not, I'm sorry you were offended, people, but I've sinned against... Only against you, God, have I sinned. That, that's good. So, number six on the list is humility. Uh, we see this, for instance, in James chapter 4, verse 6. The text says, He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a good truth to remember, but you need to remember it rightly as well as that um, also this verse is not a reference to salvific grace. right? God's, James is not saying that if somebody will just soften their heart enough that God will give them grace and save them. right? Because we know the, the condition of man's heart apart from the Spirit of God and the Gospel. So it's not speaking of salvific grace. This is talking about a Christian, a Christian who needs the grace of sanctification. That's what James is talking about. And in that whole section there in James chapter 4 has much to do with prayer. Um, But God gives grace to the humble. So we come to him humbly, even in James 4, more on on this aspect of humility. Just listen to James' uh, description of the humility that he's talking about here. James 4, 9 says, Be miserable, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. That's a humility. Dust and ashes kind of humility is is what James is describing. Um, So humility, number seven, the continual aspects of prayer. God is pleased to hear. Continual aspects of prayer. Of course, we're we're not saying this is contradictory to what Jesus said. Not a bunch of meaningless repetition, right? But a true before the Lord Staying there before him, prayer. Um, Examples of this is Jesus himself. Luke 6, it says, It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer. The whole night. Paul, as we went through 2 Corinthians, we saw him repeatedly three times, it says, Implore the Lord that the the thorn of his flesh would be removed. Three times it says that he, he implored the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. All of this language is that prayer is to be um, certainly an ongoing thing. And maybe even in even in ongoing prayer, because prayer is a hard work. Pray, even short prayer is hard work. Think about praying all night long. And now think about number eight, praying earnestly. Praying earnestly. Jesus, the example again, Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh... He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him. And he was heard because of his piety. Loud cries and tears from the God-man. Just this blood-earnest prayers of Jesus, I think, 
Um, this whole aspect of prayer, uh, I think it should come much more naturally than it does. I know my prayers are so weak sometimes. So, But if you think about who it is we're talking to, the God of the universe who... I think the issue is we can't see him, right? Because if we, if we could see him, we'd be just like Isaiah. And we'd be like John. We'd fall down dead. We can't see him. And so our prayers are just, okay, God, you know, God up there. But I think if we realized who it was we were dealing with, our prayers would naturally be blood earnest. Um, and not only, not only should it be earnest because of who we're talking to, because of what we're praying about. I mean, are we not praying for people's salvations? Are we not praying that my brother would not go to hell for eternity? Is that the kind of prayer you just pray? Okay, God, you know, I hope, I hope my brother doesn't go to hell. No, these are, these are eternal issues. And so I don't, earnestness, earnestness, I think, should be so natural to our prayers. And then again, I think it all just correlates to our faith. Where, where are we at? You know, what do we... What do we really believe God to be in, in these issues? Do we really believe that people go to hell for eternity? Wouldn't that change the way we pray? Wouldn't that change the way we preach? Wouldn't that change the way we walk? If we really believe these things? I know we believe them, but I mean, to the extent that we are constantly conscious of these things, you know, do we have that those eternal mindsets? Um, number nine. We kind of maybe already hit on this a little bit, he, but he, he uh, Grudem devotes a little section to call, he calls it waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. I was kind of nervous when I read that. I didn't know what he was gonna, where he was going to go with that. He's not, saying, he's not saying that you wait on the Lord until you hear like an audible response. He's not saying you wait on the Lord until he gives you that, you know, guiding and confirmation. What he's really doing is he's more addressing here the way, the way and the spirit that we come to God. We shouldn't rush into the presence of God and, and, and throw up our requests and then, you know, rush away from God. Again, look who we're dealing with. Um, I think, especially parents, we can maybe relate to how this could offend God by just this real, trite, real quick um, type of prayer. Is that when your children come to you, and if they only came to you, Rana, you walk in the door from a long day's work, they run into you. Hey, Dad, I, can you get me this? Yeah, I'll get you. Okay. And they just run right away and never... If all they're doing is just coming to you with real quick requests, no appreciation for who you are and how you provide for them, and no thanksgiving, and no... Do you know what I mean? No time? If they just want to get from you, that's offensive. I think God, in the same way, doesn't want us just running to Him with just throwing requests His way and then going back to our... our God is pleased to... Um, to fellowship with us. He loves our fellowship. It's unbelievable. I know it seems like seeker sensitive to even say that. God loves our fellowship. God saved us so that we would be with him forever. We don't deserve this fellowship. He's not saving us because I'm funny and I have things to, to you know, enjoy our time about. No, he's been gracious to us. He wants us to be thankful to him. It glorifies him that he saved us and that we're with him. I combine number 10s and 11 uh, because they're similar. Prayer in private and prayer in public. I think there are unique aspects to both of these, though. Unique benefits. Because Jesus said, Matthew 6, 6, When you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Sir? 
yeah, there's a definite benefit to private prayer, right? He, he's telling you there's something about um, going alone by yourself, being with the Lord who, who you can't see and nobody else is seeing you going to the Lord. The Lord's pleased with that. Maybe, maybe just because you're not doing it in front of other people, right? There's something about a faith that, that you're going to act this prayer out knowing that nobody's seeing you. The only reason you're doing this is because God is there and He's hearing you. It's the only benefit you're going to get out of this. Um, I think that's, I think that's an important. I think another significant thing, and I remember we talked about this in our small group um, when going through the, the sermons on prayer, but I think prayer is one of those things that because it is private, it's one of those fruits of our lives that I think can be a very helpful and genuine test for you when it's time for you to test, when you are self-examining yourself, your private prayer life is a very good fruit to examine. The reason is because it's not something you do in public. It's very easy. It's much more easier to um, work out your salvation in front of people. We all know and feel how other people approval and can very easily motivate you but private prayer, when it's just between you and the Lord, this is truly a fruit that you're not going to do that unless you're, you're being faithful to God because you know He hears. And so that's a good fruit, something that people don't see, you know. Um, it's just different. It's different than when we come together, you know, and somehow you find yourselves praying these theological treatises, you know, on Friday nights in the prayer group. But my prayer by myself is not like that. You see, so... It's a very good fruit to inspect. Um, and that's not to say that public prayer isn't a blessing because it is. I think we all experience that on Friday nights. Public prayer is a blessing to your soul. You feed off the, the, the spirit of the brethren. You, you hear their, their cries. You hear their needs. You're able to pray for them and with them. And we just, you know, stir each other up in that way. And so there's definitely, definitely the benefits of of praying with the brethren as well. Um, number 12 is fasting. Fasting. I told you these would be convicting. Mm-hmm. 12 is fasting. So on fasting, um, certainly, I believe that fasting is, is a valid scriptural way uh, of, of implementing an effectual prayer life. Um, countless examples, as you open up your Bible, of, of people fasting in times of deep concern, um, what's interesting is though as you get to the New Testament there, there aren't uh, mandated there's not required commands of mandatory times of fasting and or, that's not there but I think um, even in the words of Jesus in several texts maybe for instance Matthew 9.15 you hear the assumption that his people will fast Matthew 9.15 says and Jesus said to them the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with, with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And so, Jesus is assuming is that there's a time that when he will leave, the, the church will fast. I know that there might be like some eschatological interpretational issues with like Jesus being gone or, or not and coming with the Spirit, but... I think there is the assumption. I think it's. I think that it holds that fasting continue because when, as we went through the book of Acts, what did we see? Even throughout the book of Acts, we see fasting continue. What's interesting about that is if you go look at the examples in the book of Acts of fasting continuing, it was just interesting to me to see 
because fasting is that. Fasting is this is a this is a deep concern that I have, and I'm I'm going to put apart even even my 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 satisfaction of just daily normal foods to set itself my to, to prayer. What do they fast for in the Book of Acts? Very interesting is that you see them fasting when it comes time to appoint leadership in the church to lay hands on people and to send out missionaries. And so you see, like, that's when fasting's mentioned. That So you just see the seriousness of laying hands upon somebody and putting them in the church. Is that this is when they fasted. That's how serious of, a, of an issue that that is and how serious it is. So fasting, we see, continues. Uh, benefits of fastings, I just put, it intensifies. It naturally intensifies your cries to the Lord. If anybody's fasted, you feel that immediately. Upon first meal... I mean, everything is intensified. It definitely lets the Lord know you are serious about these prayers. Um, it's a good exercise for self-discipline. Just getting self-control over your body and in food. That's, I mean, it's, I don't know what would be tougher than this besides just prayer in itself. Discipline. Let nothing uh, master over you. I even had the example here that I'd heard years ago. Cameron, maybe you can speak to this. Is that I heard John MacArthur saying that he repeatedly fasts like once a month just so that he cannot have food at its dominion over him. Have you heard him say that? I haven't heard him say that. Yeah, I heard him say that. I even heard a very crazy way of how his fast was broken one time, really supernaturally. It was very interesting to hear him talk about that because I had never really heard him uh, say anything like that. But, yeah, self-discipline. Don't let anything master over you. It's almost just helpful to prove to yourself that even food is not master over you. Um, just think about this. I don't know why I didn't think about this, but just think about the time that it opens up. How much time do we devote to food just per day? Mm-hmm. Especially if you go out to eat and you're sitting there waiting. I mean, we're talking about hours a day mm-hmm. that could, that you could, if need be, devote to prayer. Hours. Hours. Okay, lastly, Thanksgiving. Does anybody, I haven't had much interaction, does anybody have texts for Thanksgiving? Well, that's the one. 20, I think Right. That's good. This is the will of God for you, Thanksgiving. Any other texts? Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Right, the be anxious for nothing. Mm-hmm. You want to read that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanksgiving is just there with your prayers. Right, because even, I think it's so important because why do we usually pray? Because something's wrong. Right, so how inclined are we to be thankful when something's going wrong? The whole motivation for coming to God is something's wrong, something's not right. But no, we're to be thankful for, for all things. Even, even in trials, like James 1 said, as he goes on to talk about prayer, thankful for all things. So even while we're praying, there's nothing, there is nothing that's going to happen in this world that, that, that should take us from being thankful for our salvations and eternity in heaven. There's nothing that should override that to where our hearts find a reason to not be thankful. We're going to heaven forever. There's nothing that can, in this world... Um, overrule that or override that you see so we should we always have something to be thankful even that 
prayer requests, even that problem, we know that God is working all these things out for good. So even in that, we should be thankful, even if we don't understand it. And that's what James means. If we're there, we're overwhelmed, we don't understand what God's doing, pray for wisdom, he says. Pray for wisdom. He, Gary, he promises that he will give it. That's a, I love that, that promise. Um, we're out of time. I wanted to do... I think we're all probably aware of our own hindrances. I wanted to talk about hindrances. Why don't we... If we know... All of us believe these things, right? We all believe that these things are true, that, that these things will help our prayer life. So why is our prayer lives as it is? What are the hindrances? Hindrances to that. Um, I wanted to talk about that. I, I just put time. Right? Time. We don't, we, don't, we don't give prayer its rightful place in our lives. Um, I think, you know, bumper sticker theology is not normally overly helpful um, or theologically accurate most of the time, but I've seen a bumper sticker that is right. It's true. It says, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. That's true. That's right. That's good. Because um, if you've ordered your life in such a way that you're not finding time for prayer, something is off. Something is, there's something you need to do. There's something you need to put off. I don't care how much you love it, how much you think it's benefiting you. If you're not praying, something is wrong. Um, you know, John Calvin, one of the most convict, convicting things I've read about this is that um, John Calvin in his institutes, when he's talking, you think about John Calvin, you know, talk about providence, and John Calvin has a huge section. I think it's his hugest, maybe second hugest section in his institutes is on prayer. The great Calvinist, you know, prayer. Prayer is, even for us Calvinists, is, is a must. But he talks about in Romans 8 where it says that the spirit that's given to us, the spirit of adoption that causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. Right? Do you have the spirit or not? If the spirit is in you, he causes you to cry out, Abba, Father. If that's not happening, you should be very, very worried. That's what Calvin says. If you don't pray, you're not saved. That's what he says. So, just knowing that the Spirit is in us and, and that is a role and a job of the Spirit is to cause us to cry out to the Father. If that's not happening, something is, is really wrong and you need to get right. right. Whatever it is, if it's unrepentant sin, if it's just mismanagement of time, if it's just a lack of faith in the fact that prayer really works. I mean, you can open up your Bible anywhere and see prayer being answered by God. We should, we should not doubt this. Um, prayer is just too vital to the life of a Christian to go ignored for too long. Right? Yes, ma'am. Um, I was just going to say that I think, too, that when a Christian starts lacking in earnest prayer, that it could be going along that you get so caught up on your own wants and desires and your circumstance. And instead of understanding that prayer life and trusting and having faith in God is trusting the mere fact that like you were saying, wisdom alone. I mean, that in itself, we trust God and know that He's going to give us the wisdom regardless if it's the outcome that we hope for or want and that we still believe in His sovereign will and that His plan will not be thwarted because we belong to Him. So I think we can lose sight of do we forget that it's about trusting and having faith that He's going to give us the wisdom instead of being focused on oh, this hasn't happened yet, why am I still going through this? Well, you, know, you know what I'm saying? No, I think, you, I think you really brought us where we need to be to end up. I think you made a good point. It's that not our wills, but your will be done at the end of the day. Because don't think that I mean by effectual prayer that we're going to manipulate God into whatever we want. 
you know, God forbid that. We don't want God to give us everything we want. We want God to give us what he knows is right, what he, what he is going to be glorified in the end and what's good for us. That's what we, So all of our prayers, even when, man, I went through everything Chris said. And my prayer, well, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Right, always. Just, I mean, Jesus prayed that same prayer, amazingly enough. Not my will, but your will be done. And so that's where we'll believe it. That's where, at the end of the day, if, if we feel like it's not being answered how we want or not being answered at all, not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. Yes. And that we believe God hears us, but that shouldn't be our focus. Our focus is that God's will and what's best for us. Yep. If it not be your will, Lord, then so be it. That's where that the faith whole Amen. different thing with the prosperity. Amen. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it definitely is different. Yeah. Okay, well, let's pray and we'll go to service. We're running a little late. Well, Father. Father, again, I just want to glorify you, God, for who you are. God, we thank you for the what is truly a miracle that we, who are fallen creatures, can speak to you. God, that you hear your children all over the world. God, we thank you that you are omniscient. We thank you that you're omnipresent. We thank you for your spirit. God, we thank you that your spirit causes us to, to cry out, Abba, Father, God, I pray that... God, I pray that the Spirit would stir us up more, God, that we would be a praying church, Father. Our church needs our prayers. God, please stir us up to pray. Bless our worship. Bless the preaching of your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.